you know, one of the more interesting, regardless of whatever you think about them, one of the more interesting series of movies and concepts of movies for a franchise, whatever, that's come out in a long time has been Sylvester Stallone's The Expendables. I mean, the, the notion of Sylvester Stallone himself, who, by the way, is 75 years old, oh Sylvester Stallone himself gathering together a bunch of like 80s and 90s action stars and creating this franchise of just bombastic, ridiculous action and things like that. It's a very cool concept. They have met with varying degrees of success. Some pretty good, some not so good. But there's been a lot of discussion and talk lately about whether or not we could actually see Sylvester Stallone do another one. He's been talking about it in the last couple of years. Actually, ever since 2018, Sylvester Stallone's been talking about the possibility of doing another Expendables. Well, today, he's back at it again because Sylvester Stallone got on social media and once again teased that he's working on Expendables 4. And he basically put up this on Instagram. He wrote, I just finished designing this new ring for Expendables 4. It's a little heavy, but it'll definitely put some muscle on your fingertips. And I got to say, that is indeed a pretty badass ring that he's got. There. That looks pretty awesome. I do like it. It of course, is. It's got the Expendables skull and all that kind of this. Now, going back to an interview with uh, former UFC light heavyweight and heavyweight champion Randy Couture, he spoke about the possibility of an Expendables 4 earlier when he said, it sounds like we're going to get to do Expendables 4. They've been kicking around for a couple of years, but now I've just recently heard from my agent that they are working on a script for Expendables 4, and they're planning to schedule filming for Expendables 4 for this next fall, somewhere around there. So I haven't seen the script yet. Uh, they had one couple of years ago, but they were talking about making Expendables 4 out of, and then that script just got away. So that comes to us from Randy Couture. And by the way, our friends Epic Dub Time and Marie Seifring send in super chat badges in the live chat. Thank you guys very much. So here we got Stallone. By the way, I just want to bring this up on screen. We were just talking about Stallone is 75 years old, right? This is 75-year-old Sylvester Stallone. Come on. I want to effing smack him in his stupid muscular face. Look, look at the guns on this guy at 75 years old. Anyway, I'm sure there were absolutely no horse steroids involved. I'm sure there were no horse steroids involved whatsoever. But I don't care. Look at the size of this dude. I would go see an action film with this guy. I would still oh, yeah. totally be up for an action film. Now, look, of course, the biggest question here, guys, isn't about whether Stallone can pull off an Expendables movie. The question is, with the, like I said, varying levels of success, and the fact that it has been a few years since the last Expendables, is there a hunger? I mean, honestly, is there a hunger right now in the fan base for another uh, Expendables movie? And I I'm not saying there's not, but Rob, I'm just saying... I'm not sure there is. Uh, Rob, you see Stallone coming out here now, posting pictures of rings and all this kind of stuff. What do you think? Number one, do you think they are actually going to do Expendables 4? And number two, do you think there will be an audience waiting for it if and when it does come out? Well, I don't want to be ageist, you know, so good on Sly for uh, not, not uh, you know, age is just a number for him. He keeps going. I, I admire that. Maybe he can team up with Indiana Jones. But um, <laughs> I... I 
You know, I, I, I but I do. I think though, though that that's a real interesting trend that, you know, the, this thought that Ridley Scott has two movies coming out and he's 83 and he's he has two movies he directed this year. But is there an audience? You know, the Expendables movies, I think, have never been as good as they should have been. The promise of them was a little bit better than the execution, although I do say that they're fun to watch. You know, there's 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 worse ways to fritter away a Sunday afternoon than watching an Expendables movie. So the fun thing about those movies is who else they get to be in them. Yes. So, you know, if if he comes up with some insane all-star cast, especially, I think, in the wake of, of the Suicide Squad, uh, <laughs> who knows who, who he could get to uh, sign up for the film. So if he's going to really make an Expendables movie, I'll watch it. Uh, by you the know. way, I just uh, Matthew points out in the live chat that remember, guys, Harrison Ford was in the last one, so maybe he was secretly Indiana Jones. I don't look, <laughs> Kimberly. I don't know. Like I'm looking at a picture of them. I mean, look at this. I mean, in this one's picture, I'm looking at you got Stallone, Schwarzenegger, Bruce Willis, uh, uh, Chuck Norris, Jean Claude Van Damme, Terry Crews. Um, you've got uh, Jet Li, Dolph Lundgren. You've. I mean, it, it's. It's amazing. And, and that is, Rob, you great. Where's a great point? Whenever there's a new one coming out, it's always like, who are they going to put in there next? That's always yeah. been a cool thing. But I don't know, Kimberly, uh, same questions for you that we had for Rob. First of all, do you think they're actually going to make Expendables 4? And then number two, will there be, I mean, obviously not, there's not going to be a billion dollar audience, but will there be an audience for Expendables 4 if and when they do put it out? Well, number one, since global warming is still an issue, I think we can all agree that we need Chuck Norris to come in and fix it. So we, <laughs> there's always room for more Chuck Norris. Um, but there's also a lot of great new blood. I think they should make this film. I think um, wherever they can find areas where they maybe fell short. I don't want to say fell short because... It really is about how self-aware they are about the grand ridiculousness of it. I mean, um, one and three are definitely my favorites, but I would love to see Joe Taslim in there and GSP. Oh, um, my god! To just add, add the muscle, add some more amazing martial arts. I'd like to see that. Um, I know this guy doesn't fight, but in terms of manliness, because let's face it, this this movie celebrates manliness. I'd like to see Dennis Haysbert. For some reason, his voice is just like so manly to me. You're um, in good hands. You're in good with hands. Dennis Haysbert. Um, and so I think not only is there room for it, but we love the nostalgia. These are our, our heroes of old, no pun intended. But I think there's something really fabulous as culture is celebrating diversity and inclusivity of people people that are older kind of showing up and going, uh, don't call it a comeback. So, <laughs> so I'll tell you what, I think they are going to do it. I, I mean, look, as long as Stallone puts his name behind it, but if they can keep the budget small, if they can keep the budget small, I believe they won't be hurting to find financers. I think if you could have a very modestly budgeted Expendables 4, I think they will have financers lining up to, to jump on board because just the name recognizable, the recognizableness of the name is going to be enough that they're probably going to believe they can make a decent little profit if they keep the budget reasonable. But that's going to be the key is can they make this for a reasonable amount of money? Because this, look, Expendables 4 is not going to make $400 million at the box office. It's just not. But... It could make two hundred million. It could make two hundred and fifty million. If you budget accordingly, that could be profitable. So it's going to be interesting to see. John, yes, Rob. 
The last Expendables movie, Expendables 3, made $214,657,577 at the international uh, worldwide box office. Yeah. So that that's Man. what I'm saying. I don't think I, I don't think the idea or the concept of this thing being a four hundred million dollar movie is realistic. But it you come out with the right cast and you market it right, this could be a two hundred and fifty million dollar movie. It could. So you budget it right. What are you thinking? Uh, I do think what what I really do like about the Expendables films, you know, I, growing up in the 80s, watching all of the canon movies like Kimberly brought up Chuck Norris, watching things like the Delta Force or Invasion USA. I was always there for those movies and the studios aren't making them. So when the Olympus has fallen or London has fallen or the Expendables come out, I watch these movies because they're fun and we don't get them anymore. So I do think that there's a place in the world for these films. Well, we'll have to see what happens with it. The question is for you guys. What do you think about this? Do you think they're actually going to make an Expendables 4? Do you think there's going to be an audience for it? More importantly, are you interested? Like if if they cranked out an Expendables 4 tomorrow, are you going to sit down and watch it? I'm not going to lie. I probably would. What do you guys think? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down and out of the way, Let's move into our main topics of the day. And how do we select our main topics? It's really rather simple. You guys come up with our main topics. Whenever you come across a big topic, issue, or story that you think we need to cover as a main topic here in the John Campia Show, just go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's absolutely free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, let's move on to main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Sean C., who writes, Hello, John. I just heard the news that Tom Hanks will star in the next Wes Anderson film following the French Dispatch. I would love to see Tom Hanks become a Wes Anderson regular since he is one of my favorite actors. What do you think of this decision? Thanks, and bring on the filthy. All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. Appreciate that. And yeah, listen, Tom Hanks, uh, my wife puts it as this, Tom Hanks is America's dad. That's, that's it. <laughs> Tom Hanks is my my wife's all-time number one favorite actor. Uh, Big, of course, is my wife Anne's all-time number one favorite movie by a mile. What Star Wars means to me is what Big means to her. And of course, he is one of the, Rob, I can't remember if he's the only guy, if not the only guy, then one of the only guys in movie history that he won Best Lead Actor at the Academy Awards back to back. He won it for Philadelphia, and then he won it for Forrest Gump. Now, I can't remember, there may have been one or two other people who've done that in the history of Hollywood. If there is, it hasn't happened in a long time, and I can't think of it off the top of my head. But he is one of the most celebrated actors out there. Wes Anderson is one of the more celebrated filmmakers out there, especially among cinephiles. Like, he doesn't have the pop cultural cachet of, say, a Christopher Nolan or or the Russo brothers or Steven Spielberg, but amongst cinephiles, Wes Anderson is the shit for a lot of people. They absolutely love Wes Anderson. And it's really weird to think of the fact that Tom Hanks, up until now, has not been in a Wes Anderson film, but that apparently is about to change. According to the folks over at Coming Soon, they write this. Following the recent casting news that Adrian Brody, Bill Murray, and Tilda Swinton, who are regular Wes Anderson players, 
will be starring in Wes Anderson's next film. The Hollywood Reporter brings word that Oscar winner Tom Hanks, Philadelphia, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Greyhound, and a thousand others, has joined the project, serving as his first Wes Anderson production. According to the outlet sources, Hanks will appear in a small role in the currently untitled project that could be cameo-like in nature. The film will be written and directed by Wes Anderson, with production expected to shoot in Spain. Plot details are being tightly kept under wraps, but it is rumored to be a love story set in Europe. And again, that comes to us from the folks over at Coming Soon. So look, it seems like a no-brainer. Take one of the most celebrated, lauded actors of our generation, pair him with one of the most celebrated and lauded performers of our generation, and it seems like a common, like a, a well-played thing. Listen, Wes Anderson is one of these directors who clearly likes using the same actors. I mean, he, he just gets comfortable with them. They get comfortable with him. It works. Introducing a Tom Hanks thing. Listen, I don't even know anything about this movie, and I'm already interested. Kimberly, what do you think about the idea of Tom Hanks being in a Wes Anderson film? Oh, I'm definitely interested. And if you think about it, um, Wes Anderson, with his aesthetic and his style, it's perfect for Tom Hanks because he always comes off as very humorous, um, but there's always some weird dramatic kind of almost sometimes a dark twist in his films. But we love Tom Hanks for the lighthearted, heartwarming, but we also love his dramatic side. So I feel like not only does he fit right in, but I'm like, where has he been this whole time? And I feel like even if it's just a small cameo role, please make your next film um, a more in-depth role with Tom Hanks because I feel like he would just thrive in a Wes Anderson film and with the star power and the cast that he has in his film I would love to see Tom Hanks with a Gwyneth Paltrow and a Ben mm. Stiller and right. especially I would love 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 I can't tell you how much I want to see Bill Murray and Tom Hanks that would fill <laughs> my heart just hugs all around I would love it Rob you're hearing about this what's your reaction to this news what do you think about it well, I mean, I love it that one of the I think one of the great things about Wes Anderson's movies is his casting and the fact that he has this sort of company of players or at least a rotating company of players that he brings people in and out of. I mean, I I uh, I couldn't be more delighted, John. I mean, I can't wait to see the French Dispatch and now hearing this news. Bring it on, man. All right. Question is for you guys. We're hearing that Tom Hanks is now going to be appearing in a Wes Anderson film. The French Dispatch still hasn't even come out. So we got to get no. that movie down and out of the way first. And then we'll look forward to his next one. Questions for you guys. What do you think about this? Jump on down to the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Sebastian Wilfork. And Sebastian Wilfork writes, Greetings, John and Rob. I think we agree that Dwayne Johnson is the biggest movie star in the world. Well, according to box office and salary numbers, he is indeed the biggest box office uh, star in the world. Anyway, wonder what you're, you thought of the fact that Jungle Cruise just made less than half of what Black Widow did at the domestic box office, only half of what Black Widow made on Disney+, and had a terrible international result. Some are saying it exceeded expectations, but how low were those expectations? What do you think? Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, of course, Jungle Cruise hitting theaters. I uh, reviewed Jungle Cruise the other day. I, I talked about it on the show the other day. Not a bad little movie. I mean, not, not as good as 
well as it maybe could have or should have been but it's it's not bad uh, like I, I didn't think it was a terrible movie i don't think it was bad it definitely had its charm dwayne the rock johnson is of course dwayne the rock johnson he carries a world of charm and charisma with him and then you add into that one of the most exciting fantastic actresses in the world and emily blunt they had a really great comedic chemistry together i thought they worked very well a lot of the supporting cast including the guy who plays her brother and i can't remember the actor's name but the guy who plays emily blunt's brother is actually really quite good in the movie as well Anyway, it's an okay movie. It's an okay movie. When I read that they're saying that the movie exceeded expectations, I asked the same question that Sebastian just asked. Exactly how low were their expectations? Like, how bad did they think this movie was going to do? How bad did they think this $200 million movie was going to do that making 30-something million opening weekend, granted, in a COVID era, but still, when Black Widow just recently made 80 million, now, of course, nobody expected Jungle Cruise, nobody expected Jungle Cruise to make as much money as Black Widow. That would be insanity. Of course, nobody expected that. But not even half? Less significantly less than half in the theaters? And then on Disney Plus, where Disney Plus is trying, look, Black Widow made 60. We're on the right track now. And then Jungle Cruise comes out and they make 30. Half. Again, nobody expected it to make Black Widow numbers. Nobody, not a single sane human being on the planet expected it to make Black Widow numbers. But half? And then it did miserable internationally. This comes to us from the folks over at Variety who write the following. The Disney film, A Jungle Cruise, starring Emily Blunt and Dwayne Johnson, debuted slightly ahead of expectations. Again, what were their expectations? Despite concerns that the Delta variant would keep family crowds at home. At the international box office, Jungle Cruise brought in a lackluster 27... This is in like 40-something countries. Brought in $27.6 million. So, sorry, from 47 overseas territories. Booing its worldwide box office to a haul of $61.8 million. For a movie that costs $200 million to produce, as Jungle Cruise did, its box office opening weekend would traditionally be considered a major disappointment. And, and I agree with Variety using the phrase here, guys, of traditionally that would be considered a major disappointment because we are not living in a traditional time right now. We are still living in the resurgence. By the way, thank you very much to everybody not getting vaccinated. Um, we are now in a resurgent a resurgence of the uh, pandemic and it, it's, it's affecting things that being understood and me acknowledging that that still doesn't to me account for this kind of performance. You can't like Disney can try to spin and put on as big of a happy face as they possibly can on this. There's no getting around it. Even COVID being understood. This is a major, major falling flat on their faces, especially considering that with the variant, you think that would push more people to watch from home. And you'd think that the, the narrative that they want to try to sell is that with the success of uh, with the success of uh, Black Widow, or at least one weekend of success that it had, they say this guy's going to build momentum for their Disney premium plus at home. But even then, it only managed to scrounge up half of what Black Widow did. Again, 
Nobody expected it to make Black Widow numbers, but half with more people staying at home because of the variant. I don't know. They, to me, they can try to spin this however they want, but I think this is, this is a disaster. I, I think this is an unmitigated disaster for them, especially for a movie that costs $200 million for them to produce. So, and, and listen, I'll say this. I don't, again, I didn't love Jungle Cruise, but I think it's good. And I think it deserved a little bit more attention than it got. Uh, again, not a great movie, not one I'm going to be rushing back to the theaters to watch again, but a fairly decent enough entertaining film to sit down and watch. Anyway, Rob, you hear these numbers. I, I don't know. Maybe you see this differently. Maybe you see these numbers and think these are encouraging. I look at these numbers and I think these are disastrous. But I don't know, Rob, how do you look at this? Well, I mean, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head. It's not even about it's it's about cost to benefit analysis or whatever. And the movie costs two hundred million dollars. I mean, you need if a movie costs that much money, you're looking at between six to eight hundred million to break even. And this isn't going to get anywhere near that, even in the best case scenario. And um, you know, I just I wonder sometimes. Like, I thought this movie looked good. You know, I haven't seen it yet. But I, I like the trailers, and as we learn more about what the movie was actually about, it seemed more and more entertaining to me. But I just wonder, you know, sometimes in the world we live in, is this kind of a movie what audiences of today really want to see? You know, on paper, again, I, I feel like sometimes on paper at the corporate level, something like this looks like it makes sense because they're like, this could be the new Pirates of the Caribbean. You know, and I get where they're coming from, but also somebody has to stop and, and ask themselves, in our world today, do people want to see this even with Dwayne Johnson in it? And I I don't know. I mean, clearly the answer to that was no, they didn't. And, um, I, you know, look, I don't like it when any movie doesn't succeed because it's bad for everyone in the business. But I just I don't know about this movie. Yeah, I mean, look, you, you also have to look at it from that point of view of, like, do people want to see Dwayne The Rock Johnson? I think they do, but I, it becomes a question, too, about the marketing. Did they market it well? Because, like, I, I never thought that the marketing did anything to make a lot of people want to jump up and scream and say, yeah, let's go out and see this damn thing, you know? And by the way, our friend RM sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, RM. Um, so, I don't know, Kim... I mean, you look at this. Yeah. Um, I I can't remember if you've seen Jungle Cruise yet or not. But no, you see, see it these today. results. I, I don't know what jumps out to you. What what's the impression it makes on you? Honestly, I I I I want to blame it on coronavirus. I really do. But I know it, the numbers are so so low. But I kind of want to look at it from the coronavirus perspective because if you think about, even though um, it does the market want to see it. Kids are always going to want to see kid things and families are always looking for an opportunity to get out of the sun into the air conditioning, sit my kids down in front of a screen, have them go crazy. Families kind of need this right now. And not only is it kind of, I think if we were coming out of coronavirus and we didn't have Delta, I think it would definitely be doing better. But especially since LA County is back to wearing your face mask again, and I'm, I read that the Delta variant is really weighing heavily on uh, pediatric 
you know, first responders in the hospital, like they're they're um, they're really strained right now with how many kids are getting it. And as a parent and you're thinking school is starting soon, I am not about to even try to get you sick or for you to spread it, depending on, um, you know, what you're doing with with the vaccine. And so I really kind of want to blame this on coronavirus. But then the, then the question but I know though, it is so how? much lower than Black Widow in the same situation. That's that's why I'm I'm wrestling. With yeah, because with if, if, if you could just blame the coronavirus thing, that just means people are staying home. Yeah. So you think more than would pop it on Disney Plus? Yeah, but people and they didn't. Thirty million. Half. I don't know about that. I mean, did. no. I mean, I do agree with that. But I think for families with a large amount of kids, um, with the price of a movie ticket, that's two people. If I've got my husband and I've got you know me, you know hypothetically me, my husband and my four kids, well, buying it at home, I only paid for me and my husband. My kids got it free. So why didn't they then? That's the point. It's still made. Yeah. Even then, it's still only made half of what I Black Widow you. did. I just want so Even though more people are at home. Yeah. I mean, it just seems really hard. By the way, Mark Vell uh, is uh, in the live chat and sends in a super chat badge as Jarrett uh, Garcia also sends in a live chat. Thank you, guys. A super, uh, a super badge is in the live chat. Thank you, guys. Appreciate that very much, man. Anyway, the question is for you guys. What do you think of these numbers? To me, you can try to spin and song and dance and put on a happy face as much as you want. $34 million at the box office and $30 million on Disney Premium Plus is a disaster for a $200 million movie. And in 47 other countries around the world, only $27 million more. Even when Disney puts out this press release, and I've got it on my email here, puts out this press release trying to announce it made like 90 something million even when they're like combining the international the domestic the disney plus numbers it still is like guys this is a 200 million dollar movie i don't know guys question is for you what do you think was the cause of this i mean you could probably blame the variant on the maybe the box office result but then more people are staying at home and they didn't check it out on disney plus at least not in nearly big enough numbers do you think it's Dwayne The Rock Johnson's appeal is diminishing. Is Emily Blunt's appeal diminishing? Is the classic family adventure movie just not all that interesting? Or is it something else? Question is for you guys. What do you put behind this? Jump on down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. By the way, our friend uh, Scott Dillon sends in a super chat badge in live chat. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate that, man. All right, guys. With that down, let's now move on to main topic Number two, I think this is our second, no, this is our third main topic. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Christopher Brickner. And Christopher Brickner writes, Paramount has delayed the release of Clifford the Big Red Dog movie due to the COVID Delta variant. While this was not going to be one of the biggest films of the year, it is the first movie to be delayed due to the Delta variant and the very first delayed movie in months. Do you think the Delta variant might delay other movies? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And we were just, you know, kind of touching on and discussing, uh, you know, what kind of impact, if any, did the Delta variant have on, of course, uh, uh, Jungle Cruise. And yes, the news has come out that Clifford the Big Red Dog not a movie, not that I wasn't super excited about going to see, granted. And by the way, Ange- uh, Angelo Ortiz uh, sends in a super chat badge in live chat. Thank you, Angelo. Not a movie that I was jumping up and down and just dying to get out and go see. 
but a major motion picture being put out by Paramount nonetheless, and it was coming up pretty soon. However, Paramount has just made the decision to pull the plug. They have indefinitely removed it from their release schedule, which basically means at some point they will come up with a new release date for it. But as of right now, it's off the schedule. Now, of course, the immediate morbid question that then has to be raised for the rest of us is, what does this mean for the movies that we actually all really care about? Uh, no disrespect to the people who made Clifford the Red, Big Red Dog. That definitely has a demographic of people that are excited for it. I'm just not that demographic, and that's totally fair. But what about movies like Venom? And by the way, we're going to be talking about the new Venom trailer here next, so stay tuned for that. But what does it mean for movies like Shang-Chi? What does it mean for movies like James Bond, No Time to Die, Three Years in the Making? What does it mean for movies like The Eternals or Spider-Man No Way Home? What does it mean for movies like Dune? I mean, it, it does raise a very big question. Anyway, this comes to us from the folks over at Mashable who write, Paramount had planned to release Clifford the Big Red Dog on September 17th. Unfortunately, COVID doesn't give a crap about anybody's plans. The fantasy comedy based on Norman Birdwell's classic children's books has been delayed to a B-decided date. Multiple outlets report that the change in plans is COVID's fault as cases surge in the United States and elsewhere, fueled by the Delta variant uh, of the virus. And that, of course, comes to us from the folks over at Mashable. I, you know, a week ago, the world, Rob, guys, it's, it is crazy how different the world can look in one week one freaking week in one week i was looking at you know new numbers in california where i think it was just a week ago maybe eight days ago something like that new numbers in california like two thousand new cases in the day i think yesterday was somewhere in the neighborhood of like twelve thousand in one day and as you see these spikes start to emerge and and california is by far not even getting hit the worst I mean, there are there are states in the country that are reporting, again, hospital beds shortages. You know, our medical professionals are getting stressed to their absolute limits, um, all these types of things, too. And now we see the first potentially domino to fall. Paramount has decided that, you know what, we don't think parents are going to want to take their kids to the theaters. So we're going to take Clifford the Big Red Dog out. And, and I honestly don't blame them right now. But is this a harbinger of things to come? For example, you know, we've got Shang-Chi is supposed to be coming out here pretty soon. I right now think it's 50-50 that it actually hits its release date. I'm 50-50 on it. Um, it, you know, then we get into movies like Spider-Man. That's a little bit further down the road. So I'm not, I'm right at this moment. I am not terribly worried about Spider-Man or anything because it is further down the road. There's time to deal with this. But when you look at the films coming out sooner, Shang-Chi, you look at films like, you know, No Time to Die is coming up. You look at Venom 2, which again, we're going to be talking about here in a minute. It does raise a lot of questions. And I'm at the point now where I'm like, two weeks ago, it's like, Guys, we are on the road to recovery. We are fear, free and clear. Thankfully, over half of the population in the United States has taken their vaccinations. A report I was watching on Fox News, of all places, yesterday was reporting that you have a 90%, over 90% smaller chance 
of catching the Delta variant if you are vaccinated than, than other people, and you were over 94% less likely to be hospitalized if by chance you do catch it. That's I mean, great news. Oh, yeah, it's great news. Yeah. If we were living in a That's country hopeful. that wasn't filled with science deniers and flat earthers, then it's great news. And believe me, that ain't a political statement. I know people on the left who are science denying flat earthers on this and people on the right who are science denying flat earthers. And because of folks like you, thanks a lot. We're going to get the movies we've been looking forward to delayed again. There are much worse consequences, but we are here to talk about the movies and, and the, the world of movies. And in the world of movies, thanks to you guys, it looks like our movies are going to get delayed again. Thank you very much. Anyway, we are seeing this thing. Uh, yeah, and look, I, I am not... I am not pushing the panic button yet. I'm not, I'm not hitting that panic button yet. I, I still think it's a coin toss. I think there is time. Now, I, I've been hearing some medical professionals saying, look, the, the reality is even though there are surges right now, enough of the population has been vaccinated that it's going to prevent us from getting to like the heights of how bad it was like a number of months ago when it was like we were getting 30,000, 40,000 new cases a day. Like I've, I've read a lot of medical professionals saying, look, we've got enough people vaccinated that we won't get that bad. But it's bad enough that it's making the theaters, you know, consider pulling this thing. And listen, I'm just thinking here, Rob, if they could pull the plug on Clifford the Big Red Dog, you know they have to be talking about Venom or Shang-Chi. Uh, by the way, just a, a quick note, we will talk about the Venom trailer here in a second, but it is interesting to note that on the new Venom trailer, they do not put a release date, and on the official website at Sony, they don't have an official date either. It just says this fall. The official release date, I believe, is September 24th, <laughs> but now on the official site, it just lists as this fall. So you already know they're thinking about it. So, Rob, let me put this over to you first. I'm saying it is a complete coin toss right now as to whether or not, and I'm thinking just about the more immediate ones, Venom, Shang-Chi, these are the first ones really coming up here. I think it's a literal coin toss as to whether these get pushed or not. I, I may change my mind about that tomorrow. What do you think are the odds that we're going to see these movies get delayed again? Or, conversely, that they will hit their release dates as planned? What are you thinking? Well, I'm looking at statistics right now, and it says 50.2% of the U.S. population is vaccinated, which is essentially half. Those aren't great numbers in terms of you'd think that we'd have a predominant amount of the, the population vaccinated. Now, I understand people's reticence because it is, after all, still an experimental vaccine, and it will be the FDA won't give it full approval even until 2023, but it's working. And the proof is in the pudding. We're seeing we're seeing there's been sure things happen, but for the most part, it has been working. And yet we only have 50 percent of our population that's vaccinated. Um, we in California, we have a great vaccination program here in this state. Very easy. I think that means we're there's a tightrope here, John. Um you know, the, the 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 these covid cases are taking hold uh, um, in the unvaccinated and it's spreading and young people are are now at risk when they weren't before because of the, the Delta variant. It really depends. But like like we saw in the last week, numbers went up in a week from now, they can go back down. So maybe that's what's going to happen. That's I, why I, I think know. it's a coin toss. That's why right I, now I'm, I'm saying I think it's a coin toss. I know. And I, I that's what I have to say. I mean, I don't know. But these movies look. 
we've got two huge Disney films coming out. We've got, and after you've, you've got Black Widow and then it's precipitous drop and Jungle Cruise, which I also think had the opening it had because of COVID. Do you release two more Marvel movies in this climate? I mean, right now, if you had to make the decision right now, I would say it's, 50, like you said, it's 50-50, man. I don't know if I ran Disney, would I want to release my films day and date, even if, you know, Shang-Chi and Eternals are not premier access films. They're going to be theatrical-only films. And would you do it? I don't know if I would. It's it's a, it's a tough thing to call. I, like I said, I'm at a place right now where I wouldn't blame, like I obviously still want them to release these things. Me too. I mean, you know, here's here's an example. Anne and I, we have tickets to go see Hamilton uh, when it reopens at the Pantages Theater here shortly. And Pantages just sent out a notification saying you are going to be required to show your vaccination card to get into their theater. They're oh, not they're wow. simply not going to let people in their theaters unless you're vaccinated hmm. because they know that a lot of people might feel nervous about going to the theater and being around people who aren't. And so they're like, they're requiring, they say, and you know, they said in their uh, news posting there, they basically said, look, for the health and safety of our customers, of our patrons and our staff that we have to protect, we are going to require that. Yeah. I mean, uh, look, I, I don't like requiring shit from people. Yeah. But man, I'm almost to the point where like for me to be able to go see these movies, AMC require people to show proof of vaccination to let them in. Require it that way. Families, if they want to go see it, they know they're not bringing their 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 kids around, you know, irresponsible people who who don't want to be vaccinated. I, I mean, I I don't know. I, I mean, I, I'm not at that point yet. I'm just I'm just hyperbolizing out loud. I'm not at that point yet. But God, there's a part of me that kind of wishes theaters. Can do I that. can I ask you a question? Yeah, absolutely. You went to the Hollywood Bowl with Anne and had a delightful time seeing was it Princess Bride? We with saw the, the live Princess orchestra? Bride in concert. Yes. Did you feel at the Hollywood Bowl, by the way, nice seats. Did you feel <laughs> that, um, that did you feel safe? I, I did feel safe. And the main re- reason I felt safe, well, there was two things. Obviously, a lot of people, I mean, L.A. County, the, the vaccination numbers are much higher than than tradition, yes. than, than, than the average across the country. So there's that. Number two, you are outdoors. You're outside, which they all say makes a major difference. And there were a lot of people still there in masks. I think there were a lot. There were a lot of people still there in masks. And mm. we, Anne and I, we were in a private box section, so we weren't crammed in like where we normally. Where we're each, Anne and I normally sit in the Hollywood Bowl is up in the main section where we're crammed in on the benches with everybody. You had VIP like yeah. Seats. We treated ourselves. Treated <laughs> yeah, ourselves. you did. Anne and I treated <laughs> ourselves. Uh, to this private box right up at the front of the stage where we could have a table and dinner brought in. So Daddy yeah, had I'll, some sweet seats. Oh, uh, yeah. And and got them for us. And that was Anne's little present to us. And I was like, this is because I, I, we went there and I was like, I just expected we were going to be sitting where we normally are. And then we walked in and we made the right hand turn to go to the private boxes. I'm like, did you get us boxes? She goes, of course. I'm like, wow, this is like it's. It's fancy underwear night tonight. I mean, that's, that's, you know, it's, it's like taking us down. So, so yes, because of all those factors involved and of course, Anne and I are vaccinated. So, you know, we, we of course feel very safe when we go out and stuff like that. But anyway, it was a good, not normally what we do for ourselves, but we treated ourselves that night and it was, it was a lot of fun. So yeah. And by the way, guys, so you get a chance. Oh, can I just say Carl, not Carl Reiner, Rob Reiner, his son. 
Rob Reiner, the director of Princess Bride, came out and introduced the film. Shut up. And yeah, he came out and introduced the oh. movie and the orchestra, and he talked about how they got the music. Our love is like a storybook story. He tells a story about how they got that song in the first place. He list he literally had a phone call from his buddy in Europe saying, Listen to this guy's song, and held the phone up to the guy playing it. Rob Reiner's listening to it and goes, That's how we got the score for Princess Bride. And anyway, they had so what they do with these things is they play the movie on the screens, but without the soundtrack. And then the orchestra that was conducted by uh, John Williams's protege, David Newman, David Newman conducted the orchestra and they had the guitar player on there and, and the music. And, you know, it's been a beat since I've seen Princess Bride. It's a perfect movie. And to see it like that. Oh, it was so good. And the audience on oh, it was so good. Every time Andre the Giant had a line, the audience just cheered, just <laughs> cheered. Hello, lady. And everybody cries and cheers for Andre. Whenever he says, my name is Inigo Montoya, you killed my father, prepared to lie. The audience went crazy. Did you just hear an uh, echo of everyone. <laughs> it was such a good time. It was such a good time. Anyway, uh, that would get off on a total sidetrack there, guys. And the big question for you, everybody, is what do you think the chances are, you know, now that we've seen you know, not a movie that's a big on a lot of our radars, but Clifford the Big Red Dog has been delayed. Do you think that that is the harbinger of things to come? Do you think, like Rob was accurately saying, the world changes in a week, man. A week from now, we might see the numbers start going down again. I don't know. But right now, what do you guys think are the chances? I'd love for you to jump in the comments and actually give me a percentage. What are the chances that movies like Shang-Chi and Venom 2 actually hit their release dates? If you think it's a really good chance they stick their release dates, say a high percentage. If you think they're going to get delayed, put a low percentage. What do you guys think right now? Jump on down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number four. And our fourth main topic is this. You know, one of the movies that we were just talking about is uh, Venom. And I was a, I'm a bigger fan of the first Venom than most people. I could not believe how delightfully entertained I was by that first Venom movie. I, I was expecting it to be decent, but I was grinning from ear to ear. My brother-in-law, Ray, by the way, guys, uh, Ray Ora, Anne's brother, the guy who's been doing our graphics ever since the AMC days. Uh, it was Ray's birthday this weekend. Oh, happy birthday, Ray. Yeah, happy birthday, Ray. But anyway, Ray went with me to go see Venom. And the whole audience, like everybody's audiences varies from audience to audience. But our audience was laughing hysterically, having a great time. And everybody was just buzzing coming out of the theater. And me and Ray had a marvelous time. I love that movie. Again, I admit I like it more than most people do. And that thing was a smash hit. Over $800 million at the box office when everybody's going, it can't, it can't be successful without Spider-Man. No one's going to go see it without Spider-Man. And of course they did. To a tune of over $800 million, they went to go see this thing. And it was a load, load of fun. Then, of course, news comes out that Andy Serkis is directing this one, which was tremendously exciting. And then, you know, whatever. Well, a brand new trailer dropped for it today, this morning. This dropped. I love this trailer. I love this trailer because it gave me two different things. 
on the one hand, it gave me that back and forth banter that is both dark and completely silly between Eddie and the symbiote at the same time. I, I'm not going to laugh. I cracked up watching the trailer. He was like, when he breaks his nose, he goes, oh, I'm so sorry. Let me fix that for you. I'm going to bring it again. And he goes <laughs> and breaks his nose again. I don't care what anybody else says. I was laughing my damn ass off when that was happening. And, but on top of that, on top of that, we actually got to see a lot of Venom. Woody Harrelson looked great in this. But what I think is going to make a lot of people very, very happy is the fact that it looks like Carnage is going to be the Carnage people wanted. This dude is a homicidal maniac. And even in a trailer, it's showing us his propensity for wanting to just take people's lives and just murder and whatever. And he looks, I think he looks amazing. And Todd Knappick in the live chat yeah, quotes one of the great lines from it. Oh, shit, it's a red one. I, just, I love that line. I love that line. Like, again, to me, it's that balance of this preposterous banter with really visceral images of what Carnage is. And I'll tell you what, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I loved this trailer. I thought it looked fantastic. Anyway, Kimberly, you had a chance to see this trailer a little bit earlier this morning. What did you make of the Venom Let There Be Carnage trailer? I freaking love it. It looks so... um, And actually, it it was creepy. It was like creepy. I was like... (laughs) And um, I love seeing Carnage and when all his... I don't... They're not tentacles. When his... Tendrils? Appendages, uh, arms. Um, when they turn it, did you notice they turned into like weapons? Oh, like yeah. one was a knife, one was a hatchet, and one. And I was like, oh shoot, we're going there. And I just love Woody Harrelson so much. He is perfect casting. I can't wait to see him with Tom Hardy. I think the dialogue is the best, but but the attitude is what gets me about the symbiote, the attitude that he has. Um, and I also, just visually, I'm excited that it is the red one, because one of the things I struggled with in the first one Maybe it's my eyes. I normally wear glasses. I just couldn't freaking see. Ah, I can see how that could it be a problem. It was so yeah. dark. And I was like, I love Riz Ahmed. And I was like, I love the symbiote um, fight. And I remember getting out of the theater going, you know, I would have loved to see that fight. Mm, but but I kind of couldn't see it because it was too dark. So I like that we're getting red and black. And I feel like that that alone is just going to help with the visuals because it's amazing visuals, the way they're tumbling and fighting. And and um, I just I'm excited to actually see <laughs> the movie. Um, but, yeah, I can't wait. It looks great. Uh, by the way, our friend Devin sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. But, you know, a part of that issue could be. That, Rob, this is an issue you bring up a lot yourself, is that there are a lot of theaters that do not have their screens as bright as they're supposed to have them. Really? To try to save money on how quickly they go through bulbs. So they only have it at like 60% brightness or something like that. I know the theater, I, I saw Didn't it. know that. I saw it, luckily enough, in an AMC Dolby Prime theater. Okay. Where they have the dual laser projection. So to me, it looked perfectly fine. I mean, you have I these totally two see black creatures 
at nighttime yep. and there was no um, contrast. And so literally I was just watching shadows and shiny things going. Yeah, I, it, a lot depends on the screen you yeah, see Yeah, I look forward to seeing it. Rob, let me ask you, you had a chance to see this trailer. Now, look, I know you didn't like the first Venom quite as much as I did, but I am really curious what you made of this trailer. Well, how can you not like it? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I have to tell you, it did have a shot in it in the trailer when carnage is up against the, the stained glass window. Now, I don't know if they're in a church or what the, I, I love that kind of imagery, you know, obviously a demon from the Stygian depths of hell in a place of worship. I mean, that kind of, to me, that, that that's the ultimate villain move. You know, you don't desecrate a church, but it looks like <laughs> carnage does. And I, I'm like, you know, Venom, I loved it when he said, you can eat everyone. I was just, I, I'm like, you know, when, here, I told you, I showed this to you once before, John, but here is the actual Spider-Man 300, the first full appearance of Venom. And um, I have always thought the character was goofy. You know, right. just because it, it, it pushes the bounds of credulity. But you know what? I thought this trailer was exactly the way it was supposed to be. Like, I'm looking, if you're going to put Venom and Carnage, I mean, even in the comics, I'm like, this is absurd. But but that said, I'm like, Andy Serkis directed this movie, and I'm there for it. Uh, it just looks like a fun time at the movies. And that's, what more do you want from a movie called Venom, Let There Be Carnage? I, I mean, this movie looks like it knows exactly what it is, and it delivers. And I'm like, how many movies can you say that about these days? Yeah, I, I, I like I'm not going to lie. I watched this trailer like three or four times this morning. I laughed through it. I marveled at the carnage visuals because that was going to be a big thing. It's like, yes. are they going to kind of capture that visual? Let me bring up this image again. All you need to do is look at this image and you go, my God, they brought the comic book to life. They really brought that imagery of of carnage to life. Uh, with this image of like all the spikes and maces on the end of his tendrils. Yeah. And it just, oh, it just looks so great. And and again, Woody Harrelson plays the role perfectly. I like when he's going on about, you know, Eddie, I think of you as family. And just, oh my like, God, oh, this is so creepy. He's creepy. It's like, and I love when he said, people love killer. serial killers. People love, <laughs> but he's right. Like, there's always been a fascination with serial killers. So it's been like, oh my gosh. Anyway. Guys, oh God, I hope this thing makes its release date. I really, I don't want to wait longer till the end of September. Anyway, guys, the question is for you because I think it's supposed to come out on September 24th. What did you guys think of the Venom Let There Be Carnage trailer? Look, it's all subjective. I'm sure there are going to be many of you that didn't enjoy it as much as we did, but maybe you did, maybe you didn't. Whatever your thoughts were, jump on down to the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. All right, guys. With all that down and out of the way, let's now move on and start taking your live comments and questions. Now, I'm going to let you guys know today's show uh, is going to be a little shorter than normal. Uh, and the main reason for that is because I need to drive into Hollywood because I'm going to go to a uh, screening of Free Guy. Uh, we were just talking about Free Guy Jealous. a little bit earlier. So I'm going to go see Free Guy today. Uh, and so I'm very excited about that. But I do have to leave to get out there in time for the screening. So, But we still have time. So let's get through some of your questions here, shall we? And we're going to get things started off here. With Sam Fisher, who writes, one of two, 
You asked on Twitter the other day about TV shows. I was wondering if you've ever seen Leverage. It stars Oscar winner uh, Timothy Hutton as a former insurance agent who runs a crew of thieves that steals from the wealthy and the corrupt. They pull off cool heists like uh, Ocean's Eleven. The cast has great chemistry and comedy. It also stars uh, Aldous Hodge, who's going to be Hawkman in Black Adam. The show also just released their first half season of one, or sorry, their half of season one of a revival called Leverage Redemption. Guys, this is a show I've never watched. I never did watch Leverage. I know a number of people who have, though, and I'll say they really liked it. Um, I've just never checked it out, but they've just done a revival of it, which seems to be all the rage these days. They've done a revival of it. It's now back. Have either of you guys watched the show Leverage? I have not. No. Kimberly hasn't. Rob, have you? Yeah, I've dipped into it. It's pretty good. I mean, because I'm a sucker for heist stuff. Is this something that I would like? I think you might like it. Um, I haven't watched, you know, there's a new version of it that just started. Yeah, Leverage Redemption. Yeah. I haven't watched that. All right. I might have to check that out. Thanks for putting that on my radar there, Sam. Okay. Next up, we go to Diego who writes, I just got out of the early premiere for the Suicide Squad. John, I kid you not, the first five minutes of this movie alone will have your jaw on the floor. I've already seen the film. Uh, This movie is freaking awesome. No one and nothing is off limits. James Gunn Unleashed. Yeah, we talked about the other day. Now, look, I don't think, like some people were saying, that this new Suicide Squad is necessarily like a top five greatest comic book film of all time. But it's awesome. It's so great. I, it is so bonkers and violent and visceral, but moments of tenderness and heartfelt emotion and a uh, rat catcher is so good in this thing. Polka dot man is so good in this thing. I love seeing Nathan Fillion and I love seeing all the, the cast and crew. Anyway, it is James Gunn absolutely being James Gunn. So I have seen it and I cannot wait. I'm going to be going in uh, to go see this thing. So uh, there's that. All right, next up. We're going to go to Charlie Lives writes, did you see the David Ayer that David Ayer say that the studio cut is not my movie? It's a fully mature edit uh, with not a single radio song in the whole thing. It has traditional character arcs, amazing performances and solid third act resolution. Uh, What did we get? You know, it's it's difficult to say. Because. I. I'm one of the few people who got a kick out of the theatrical version of Suicide Squad. It was a hot mess. I mean, it was totally a hot mess of a movie. But I also had a lot of fun watching it. Whether or not David Ayer... Look, David Ayer is a terrific filmmaker. He's a very good filmmaker. Um, So how his version of it would have turned out, how much different it would have been, we'll never know. I honestly don't know why David Ayer is still talking about it. Like, it's, it's ancient history at this point. So I'm just going to sit here. I don't give a shit about the air cut of Suicide Squad. I'm just going to look forward to the next day. Here we go again. Yeah, here we go. (laughs) I don't give a shit. I'm just looking forward to his next film. He's a tremendously gifted filmmaker. So it's done. What's done is done. Let it go. Who cares? All right. Next up. Uh, We have Suthius writes one of four. Uh, I love the Olympics. I love everything about it. Something that I love doing is keeping up with the medal count for the winter games. We're inconsistent. In the last 11 games since 1980, we've only placed first with the medals one time, and that was in 2010. Yes, Mr. Campia, in Canada, in Vancouver. All the other years of the Winter Games, we were anywhere from second to third, or not even placing in the top five when it came to medal count. But now comes the interesting part when it comes to the Summer Games. 
Out of the last nine games we participated in since 1984, U.S. boycotted the 1980 games, we have come in first place with medal counts not three or four or five or even six, but seven times. Seven out of the last nine summer games, we have come in first with medal count. Uh, I don't know what this has anything to do with movies or movie news or entertainment, but okay. Uh, four or four. Uh, because the summer games have far more sports than the winter games, can we say that the U.S. arguably has the best best athletes of any country on the planet, or is it simply because we participate in such a vastness of sports and games on a daily basis? Um, I I don't know. I mean, look, it's a part thing of... The U.S. also puts more money into its amateur athletes than most countries on the planet do. I mean, honestly, the U.S. puts more money into their amateur athletics than most countries have, period. I mean, so there's that. Plus, in America, unlike a lot of other countries, you know, being an Olympic athlete, you can actually make money. You know, being an Olympic athlete, a lot of other countries, you'll be a hero for your nation for you'll a bit, a and then it disappears. Your village, your nation. Yeah. Also, you look at population. The U.S. has a big population, not as big as China or things like that, but they have a massive population. So, I don't know. I, I don't know that I'm willing to say that the U.S. has the best athletes in the world, uh, or can, or just because Canada ranks high in the winter, that doesn't mean we have the best athletes in the world. But I do know this: I love the Olympics. I haven't been watching many of them this year because of the COVID thing in Japan. It's just, it feels It's weird. a little weird to to watch them perform, not perform, but compete in uh, with empty, empty stadiums. Empty it's seats. A it just little feels wrong. Strange. It just feels, it feels wrong. Odd. But I love the spirit of the Olympics. I love what they represent. I really do. Uh, it's just unfortunate that the Japanese uh, iteration of the Olympics this year has been so heavily affected. It really is too bad. All right. Uh, next up, we go to Holland Love who writes, hey, guys. I'm wearing my Hamilton khaki field officer automatic watch, the same kind worn by Paul Connery, Ryan Reynolds, in Buried in 2010. I love that movie. Anyway, why am I saying this? I collect watches. I was curious, what else do you guys collect that we don't know about? That's an interesting question. By the way, if you guys haven't seen Buried, it is Ryan Reynolds' best performance of his career. He should have, and I, I, I'm not being facetious at all, Ryan Reynolds should have gotten an Academy Award nomination for his performance in Buried. It is a remarkable performance. Anyway, I'll be honest with you. I don't collect a lot of stuff. I mean, I have a lot of pops, but I wouldn't consider myself a collector. The last thing that I seriously collected... And this is going to sound funny. I used to collect old theology books. Like I used to collect oh, like cool. these writings from theologians from the 1800s. And I remember one, I bought this one at this book warehouse and it was a theological dissertation on the gospel of John by a theologian that I was familiar with. And it even had some of his handwritten notes in the in the book he actually this was his own copy of his book and he actually has i picked it up for about 50 cents holy i crap. eventually sold it for like two or three thousand dollars oh my gosh um that's the find everyone wants that's, that's that antique roadshow kind of thing stuff yeah right there <laughs> but i used to love collecting those books i used to oh, love, love collecting these things anyway uh was it 1800 or late like either late 1800s early 1900s something somewhere around there anyway uh, that's really the only thing I collect, collect. I buy a lot of cool things, but I don't consider myself a collector. Rob, you are a collector. 
I mean, you, I mean, obviously with the hot toys and one six figures, but is there other things? I mean, everybody knows about your passion for those, but are there other things that maybe you collect that not a lot of people know about? I do. I collect books like you. Um, I, I really like first edition hardcover books and, um, I have quite an extensive collection, uh, and and obviously movies too, but you know, it's basically the things that I collect fuel, I, I collect things that represent stories to me. Like action figures are one thing, but I like action figures because when I look at them, they represent stories that were written by somebody. The costumes were designed by somebody, the actors who played them. I find them inspirational because what I've always wanted to do in my life is add to the rich tapestry of human storytelling. And John, just right before you asked me this question. I think I know where you're going I, with this. I just saw a photograph yes. uh, of Hot Toys is doing a Captain Carter figure and a Hydra stomper that is an Iron Man armor from the What If animated series, and I'm about to lose my collective shite. Uh, okay, that's not that's not where I thought you were going. Oh, um, uh, well, uh, I, I'm just sitting here like salivating like an eight-year-old kid looking at uh, the greatest toy I've ever seen. This is just two of them put together. I'm like, oh. All right, so this is breaking. Uh-oh. Um, Amazon's Lord of the Ring TV series now has a release date. Uh, they just tweeted out something that basically, I'm trying to get the actual date. It's going to debut in 2022, and I'm trying to look through the thing here. Uh, so, uh, Amazon's through the Jared took a fact to take place. September 2nd, 2022 at long last middle earth will be returning to our screens on September 2nd, 2022 in the yet to be titled series. So the series itself is still like a year away. It's over a year away, but we now have a release date. We'll, we'll probably talk about this more a little bit on the show tomorrow. We'll probably talk about this on the show tomorrow. So just a little putting that on our radar right now, Kimberly, I'm curious, do you have anything you collect? I do. You do. I collect stickers of um, like that are, I usually get them from little pop-up shops or Etsy um, that are hand drawn of like, either sarcastic quotes or characters pop culture characters that i love like i have a lot of napoleon dynamite stickers oh wow and i have a lot of the office stickers um and then my brother-in-law actually got me on them because for one christmas he got me this samuel jackson pulp fiction um (laughs) definitely said motherfucker in there but um (laughs) kind of sticker um and i collect those because i think they're funny and i like to support artists so yeah. Uh, Anne actually, uh, ha- co- Anne collects the weirdest thing. She collects shot glasses. Oh, cool. She likes collecting shot glasses. Nice. So whenever we go somewhere or something and there's shot glasses, she'll pick up a shot glass. I don't know what, where that passion for shot glasses for hers comes from, but there it is. I collect what I can afford. There you go. Stickers. We collect what we can afford. <laughs> All right. Uh, we go back over here. Next up, that was Hollowed Love. Next up, we've got Caleb who writes, Hey, John and Rob, I'm currently reading Asmodos Foundation books. Of course, the uh, new Apple TV Plus thing is coming. And Gaiman's Sandman story to prepare for the upcoming shows on Apple and Netflix, respectively. I'm curious, which source material do you enjoy more? And which show are you more excited for? Well, I'll tell you the show I'm more excited for is definitely Foundation. Uh, that the, 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 the marketing for it has been fantastic. I mean, it just looks unbelievable. I can't wait. Yeah. But Rob, you know, 
out of those two, you Sandman Foundation, which source material do you like more and which one are you looking forward to more? Man, that's so first of all, the Sandman is my favorite comic book series of all time because it's it's a it's a comic book series that's actually about storytelling itself. And one of my favorite comic book stories ever is A Season of Mists, where basically Lucifer uh, quits. He's like, I'm tired of being the first of the fall. And here, you have the key to hell. I'm going. <laughs> you know, and so Sandman is standing there and he literally has the key to hell. And he goes back to his realm and every single entity that's really interested in, in controlling hell comes to visit him. And God, what's really interesting is God is a character in Sandman, kind of that you don't see. God even sends two angels to the Sandman's realm to see what, just to oversee, see what's going on. And it's one of my favorite fantasy stories ever in that comic. But that said, I got the Foundation Trilogy, the first Foundation Trilogy from the Science Fiction Book Club when I was 10 years old. And it was mind-blowing. I mean, it was one of those, it was a foundational science fiction novel for me. <laughs> and uh, the idea of, of Harry Seldon's, that's the main character, and his idea of psychohistory where he's able to chart the rise and fall of civilizations based on all these different factors and, and the fact that this great galactic civilization is doomed and what happens. I, I, as a kid, you know, it was, it was incredible. So there's such different different stories i mean different but i would say that both of them fueled my imagination uh, uh i would recommend both because they're so very different and the fact that we're getting tv series of both of these things now i mean sandman came out in 87 the foundation the books were started uh, osimov was writing them before i was born it's unbelievable to me that we're getting both of these things john it's it's I, crazy I, an embarrassment yeah. of riches, as you often say, Rob, an embarrassment of riches. All right. Uh, we keep moving here. Next up, uh, Swanson Decoy Gold writes. It's a little Parks and Rec reference there. Heard you talk earlier about Detective Pikachu. If you replaced the terribly written Lucy character and gave it a good ending, it would be a solid film. I disagree. Uh, and maybe the best video game movie ever. FYI, video game came first, February 96, not the cards, October 96. Yeah. Yeah, that's been kind of established. I don't really care. I really don't care. I don't care at all. I don't care at all. I'll let I'll let you Pokemon fans argue about whether Pokemon is really a video game movie or is it really a card game movie? I'll let you guys worry about that because I don't care. Um, I disagree. I, I thought, like, while I didn't mind Detective Pikachu, I was quite excited for it because I thought that, Rob, I still remember you and I talking about it because the trailers I thought were great. I thought mm. they were charming and I would smile. And obviously I love Ryan Reynolds no. and uh, just, that's the name of the guy, right? Justice Smith. Is that yes. the name of the kid who started and Justice Smith looked great in it and all this kind of stuff. And I thought it was very ho-hum. It was cute. Mm. It was cute. It had its moments, but no, th there, there was no one thing that was wrong with it. It was just a general lower quality it just overall it generally had lower quality i mean look it's all subjective i'm sure there are people watching this right now who absolutely fantastically loved detective pikachu and that's awesome if you did i'm not here to yuck on your yum that's great but for me yeah the problems were deeper than just one or two little things and again it wasn't a bad movie i, I didn't think it was bad i don't know kim did you ever get around to watching detective pikachu and yeah i watched it with my nephew he loved it 
He loved it. I thought it was okay. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not like. Right. I'm not like really invested in the property, and so I wasn't like finally. I was, just, <laughs> but it was okay. I like the animation with the people. I think I. I thought it was okay. It, yeah. I. I think yeah. that's the best way that I would put it too. It was okay. It was all right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, next up. Uh, we've got uh, the Wakandan Forever Rights. Someone special to me died today. Janice uh, Mirik. Okay, I'm sure I'm going to mispronounce this. Mirikitani. Janice Mirikitani, a poet and good human being. She co-founded Glide in San Francisco, an organization that helped me in rough times. Bono from U2 and Robin Williams occasionally visited. Uh, she said to love unconditionally. It's, you know, it's, it's funny. We live in a society that glorifies... Uh, people who play guitars hmm. um and i aspired to be a musician so I, I i wanted to be one of those guys when i was younger um but you know it's it's the real heroes are are people like that that do those sorts of things now, i i'm not gonna sit here and pretend that i know who janice uh Mirakatani was i i don't but it's uh it's always sad when people like that who did make real impact on people's lives uh, pass away so thanks for sharing that wakandan next up sam weiser gamji writes guys uh, want to share guilty pleasure flicks. My top three being who's that girl. I remember that one Xanadu and that cheese ball called life force, a nude vampires, fun overacting and Patrick Stewart. Love it. The one thing I will always remember about life force is it was to me when I was a kid to this day, the strangest movie poster I'd ever seen is just this giant eyeball. Right. Remember that, Rob, the, the giant eyeball? Oh, yes. And I was like, I have no idea what the F that is. But I just remember that one, like, kind of strained me for life. But, Rob, when you hear, like, who's that girl? <laughs> Madonna's still best. Xanadu and Life Force. Which one, like, jumps out to you the most when you think about it? Well, I mean, I, who's that girl in Xanadu I saw? But, you know, I love Life Force. I actually you worked it, on you? I worked on. Yeah, I worked on the Blu-ray. That's right. I, I worked on the Blu-ray. I interviewed Toby Hooper and, and worked on the audio commentary. And by the way, here's a here's a fun fact about Life Force. Patrick Stewart has his first on-screen kiss Ooh. in Life Force with another man who is a space vampire, you know, is <laughs> stealing his essence. But um, that's kind of a fun fact about Life Force. I'm a huge fan of Life Force. It is it is a goofy, goofy movie, but there's a lot to love in it. And uh, when it came out on Blu-ray, like the original uh, disc release, they put the international version, which is about 20 minutes longer than the original American version, and it's just all the better for it. All right. Next up, we've got uh, Oli writes, one of three. Hey, John and crew. So He-Man and the Masters of the Universe have made some waves amongst older He-Man fans on the internet. I'm with you on this one, just not my cup of tea. I also see Kevin Smith complaining about being bombarded with negative reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, so here's my question. Shouldn't he be more worried about the fact that there seems to be absolutely no new uh, fandom coming into this? Seems like any other attempt they make at reviving this franchise, fans of the original check it out while nobody else cares. As long as you're not able to get the newer generation of fans on board, isn't your franchise dead? You see, to me, He-Man never survived the 80s. It was the greatest thing in my life, but for a very short period of time. Anyway, your thoughts. You know, it's funny, guys, because I feel like we just had a very similar conversation like this about G.I. Joe. You know, it's like, yeah, Snake Eyes was bad, 
but nobody even went to check it out. And I think that says a lot about the fact that G.I. Joe is just not a popular brand anymore. Just not enough people care. And Mm -hmm. there are other factors as well, like the movie being terrible, but I think there are a lot of terrible Transformers movies and some of them made a billion dollars. I have thought for a long time that a He-Man and the Masters of the Universe thing is just... Now, I have been very passionate about seeing something with it. I very much want to see a live-action He-Man movie. I do. Oh, you do? Like, Dolph Lundgren, you know, all due respect to Dolph Lundgren, I want a new live-action He-Man movie. But that said, they have come out with different animation stuff over the years and no one's ever given it really the time of day some of the core he-man fans have but they've never really won over new audiences and i don't know if there's anything kevin smith could have done with this he-man that really would have made much of a difference it popped on the netflix's top 10 for a day and then instantly disappeared from that top 10 list when it when it came out i just don't think anybody cares I think there are the hardcore people who remember He-Man fondly and were willing to check it out, but it's much like, yeah, I just don't think it has new fans and I don't think it has had new fans in a very long time. And I think it might just be a dead IP. I don't know, Kim, like around you have little nieces and and nephews and is He-Man a big deal today? I, I mean, I don't know. Are we missing something here? What do you think? He-Man is not. It is not a big deal <laughs> at all. Um, however, I really liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. Um, I wasn't a fan of what he did with the story. I was like, oh, come on. Um, but I just feel like to take a big risk like that when people are not begging for it right. um, was tough. But also I think it, I, I hope this marks not the end of, but that people will kind of chill out on the revivals is what I hope this will do because it's true. I mean, there's some things that people absolutely love. I mean, if you come back with a Fraggle Rock, rock movie, I'm there. I'm there. Uh, <laughs> Fraggle Rock. Um, but there's some properties that you might think are nostalgic, but people are like, oh, I mean, it was cool back then, but I hope this really slows down the trend of let's revive and reboot everything. Um, no, maybe take this as a sign. Right. Rob, yeah. what about you? Do, you? do you think like, I don't know, is it just, is there still really a, a big hunger out there for He-Man material? Because I, I don't know that there is. What do you think? Uh, well, first of all, you know, the He-Man series was always designed to sell toys. You know, it was one of those first, the first of the 80s animations that was literally designed to sell a toy line. That's not to say talented writers didn't work on the show. And that's not to say that people really weren't, especially kids who were in that sweet spot, weren't affected by it because people loved He-Man. But I do think it is a product of its time. And it's a product, I mean, they've had He-Man, you know, they've been making He-Man shows for the last 40 years and I do think that some some things, I mean, the actual, it's not like it was based on a previously existing IP. They built their storyline around a toy line. Whereas I do think people are hungry for new stories. That's why, you know, our reader brought, or our viewer brought up that he's reading Sandman and Foundation. We are getting the Sandman and the Foundation trilogy as new series. These are new IPs based on books and comics that people haven't seen adapted before. And I wonder, you know, a lot of this stuff, where's, where's, you know, 
people want franchises that are theirs. And all of our old venerable franchises that are still around are from generations past. And I think a lot of people are hungry for new things they haven't seen before. That's why having the Sandman adapted and the Foundation trilogy adapted and seeing adaptations of things like The Boys, um, I think people are digging those because they're new. And if we don't get new franchises, hell, what's Hollywood going to remake in 20 years? I think it's really important that that we have new uh, uh, new beginnings for new franchises that are from these generations that move storytelling uh, forward. They, I so. mean, the other thing that's got to be pointed out, too, is this, is that, you know, I I watched the first He-Man episode, the, right. the first new He-Man episode. And uh, spoiler alert for episode one, they kill He-Man in the first episode. Why, though? Yeah. And, and it's like, do <laughs> you know what it, that reminded me of? It was just like, and again, I didn't have a big problem with that. It's just that, you know, overall, the show just didn't work for me. That's all. No big deal. No harm, no foul. It just wasn't my cup of tea. No big deal. But, you know, it reminded me, Rob, going back to the late 80s, maybe early 90s. Remember Iron Eagle? Yep. What With happens, Jason Gedrick and Louis Gossett Jr. What happens in the first five minutes of Iron Eagle 2? The main oh. character from Iron Eagle 1 dies. And I remember watching it. I'm like, uh, what? I... I can't, what? You just killed the main guy from the last movie in the first five minutes. And you know what else it reminded me of, Rob? I'm not going to get worked up about it because I know I get worked up and angry whenever I do. <laughs> you get red in the face. <laughs> but it reminds me of that godforsaken spawn of the devil's butthole <laughs> animated Transformers movie that Hasbro crapped out all over us. Where Here in the goes. first 10 minutes of the movie, <laughs> hey, kids, you know all those Transformers you love? Yeah, we're going to kill them all right now so you can go buy our new toys. Mm. I, I still haven't gotten over it. I'm still a little bitter about that. I'm still a little bitter. But it's like you just took out the title character. Now, I got into this debate with somebody. Uh-oh. Oh, shoot. Who said to me, well, John... Because I only watched the first episode, but then I heard like He Man's not in the rest of the, the next five episodes. No. And they said, Well, John, the show's not called He Man. The show's called Masters of the Universe. I'm like, Okay. It's the Tila show. I okay, mean, let's smart face guy. It. Time out. Did you watch the original Masters of the Universe? Of course I did. I know everything about it. I'm like, Okay, sing me the theme song. He Man. There you go. Just stop right there. Don't <laughs> tell me. The show isn't He-Man show. When the very first thing that comes out of your mouth, I say, go ahead, sing the theme song. He-Man. It is a he it, I don't care. You can call Master of the Universe all you want. It's He-Man. And to have the title character that everybody is there for. And that, look, I'm not saying they shouldn't have put heavy emphasis on Tila or any of the other characters. But you have to find a way to be able to do that yeah. while still having the guy that everybody was tuning into the show to see. It's I mean, like there having, little flashbacks. Like, I mean, yeah, she, but Tila flashbacks. Like try having but... a Rolling Stones concert, and then everybody shows up, and Justin Bieber is singing lead for the Rolling Stones. <laughs> everybody in that audience is going to go, where the fuck is Mick? 
Where's Mick? I don't worry about it. Although I kind of want to see Justin Bieber sing <laughs> Sympathy for the Devil now or Satisfaction. <laughs> well, you're probably doing well. I was say, but, but the point is, people are there to see Mick. Well, they're not. it's not called the Mick Jaggers. It's called Rolling Stones. I get it. People are there to see Mick. So I they, they had to find a way to highlight and emphasize Tila and the other characters while also maintaining He-Man's presence because that's what people are there for. And I understand that He-Man's coming back in the second half. He's coming back in the next five episodes. But y- you're losing your audience in the I first bit. I came here like. for He-Man, yeah, not for-, for his sidekicks. But I did like I it. Don't know. You know, also, though, there's a lot of Kevin Smith's got a lot of flack. People are saying, well, he lied to the audience. You know, to me, it seemed apparent that he was kind of taking inspiration from the death of Superman storyline. Yes. And the reign of the Superman, where uh, I think if he'd come out and said something like that, that he wanted to focus on, you know, maybe Tila, who's going to become the next sorceress or whatever, and that we're going to we were going to examine what he-man means to the rest of the masters of the universe or the universe itself before we bring him back and i think that people would have been like oh i that might have been i think part of the problem especially with the he-man fandom such as it is is that i think it was positioned in such a way that the audience was had a certain expectation and once again they tried to subvert that expectation but weren't honest about it and a lot of people get angry about that and i can understand that well, I felt I, that way about Star Trek for the last 12 years. Well, we won't get into that. But I think, look, I think when Kevin Smith was talking about the things, I think he was talking in terms of the whole series because he knows the whole series. He knows the first five episodes and the last five episodes. Yeah. And nobody else has seen the second five episodes yet. I think it's only five episodes, whatever. Um, so when he was answering those questions, I think he was answering them from a position of, the whole thing taken together, whereas a lot of people are reacting to are reacting to just the first half of what they saw. But still, Masters of the Universe is He-Man. And to not have He-Man in a He-Man show is going to be problematic for people. Just a tad. Just a little bit. <laughs> it's going to be problematic for people. Anyway, uh, we got time for just a couple more here. Uh, let's go on. By the way, BK Dan sends in... Um, uh, sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, BK. Appreciate that. Just in time for a question from BK who writes in, John, did you know slash realize that today in 1999, July 30th, so this was obviously sent in uh, on our last show, uh, Blair Witch Project was released. Wow. 22 years. 22 years. I still remember the first Blair Witch Project movie. 22 I mean, years? Yeah. I, wow. I know. You want to feel old? Wow. Everybody will, will kind of makes fun of the Blair Witch Project these days. But when that movie came out, it was shot, I believe it was called the Sony VX-1000, which was this revolutionary <laughs> consumer video camera that was used the mini DV tape. Remember mini DV tape, everybody? Oh, yes. Um, but it used mini DV, so it was digital video on tape. And this Sony camera came out and i believe it was called the vx 1000 and it really revolutionized things for people making their own videos it was it was amazing video quality for what it was at the time and along came sanchez and they made this blair witch movie that was super low budget literally made the movie for bus fare 
and freaked people out. Now, I was a little nauseous coming out of it because, I mean, it, the movie is supposed to be people I'm running through the it woods holding cameras. That's yeah. what it's supposed to be. So I'm not mad at them for the shaky camera because that's what it was supposed to be. But, I mean, I, it did leave me feeling a little bit nauseous. But it was so revolutionary at the time, and it spurred and spawned a whole slew of like found So many horror movies. films would not even exist had they not taken Absolutely. the leap. To do it that way. Like, and to have something so yeah. different like that in the 90s. Yeah. That was... I mean, even the modern ones, like they're about to come out with another one. Uh, what's what's the big popular horror franchise? The Conjuring? No, the, it's... Paranormal it's Activity? Paranormal oh, Activity series. Oh. That series would not exist at all if it yeah, wasn't for Blair Yeah, Rich. yeah, yeah. You know, it really has a, a place. And I remember at the Star Wars celebration where we debuted our movie our Star Wars fan film, Rise of the Trades, where we won some awards, by the way. Anyway, uh, when we premiered that, I got to hang out with a bunch of ILM guys, and I got to hang out with the creator of the Blair Witch Project. Very cool. And us, our buddy Paul Enns, um, Sanchez, um, the VP from Lucasfilm. Anyway, there's about 15 of us in Indianapolis, and we got invited by a local uh, theater owner to come to their theater and watch a movie that was still not going to come out for two or three weeks, the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie. And I got to go into this theater and it was just like somewhere between 10 and 20 of us. That was it. We got to go and sit down and watch it. And I got to watch that with the creator of Blair Witch Project, which was actually pretty cool. That's so fun. But anyway, yeah, it is crazy. 23 years, man. 23 years. All right. uh, Next up. BK also writes, uh, John and co finally saw black widow. It struck me, uh, not as bond ish, but born ish. I would agree with that. I would agree with that assessment. I, I think it did feel a little bit more like a born film than a bond film. Rob, how, what do you think about his statement? I think that's a good observation. Yeah, but I mean, I did think it was bond esque and that it had a bond villain with a flying lair, True. you know, yeah. and, and it Terrible was, I mean, villain. but it did. I thought it had a, a little bit of both because, like I said, I thought the car chase on the ground in in uh, Budapest was pretty pretty exciting. I mean, really well done. So it was kind of a combination of various spy thrillers for me. That's I think I enjoyed the film more than a lot of people did because of that. I mean, I'm a I'm a sucker for spy thrillers, and I think it's only I would love to have seen rather than Natasha on the run. I would love to have seen her at the height of her powers, going on a mission. You know, at the beginning after after she was a girl and. They took her into the program to go. I would have loved to have seen her at the height of her powers doing some widow stuff. But other than that, I, I enjoyed Black Widow. I, I enjoyed it. I didn't think it was great, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was, yeah. I thought it was pretty. I just the big drawback for me about the movie. So I thought the villains were terrible. That That's that's the thing. I just thought the, the bad villains really kind of lowered the, the cachet of the film. Uh, by the way, BK Dan also sends in a, another super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, BK. Appreciate that, man. All right. Uh, time for one more here. And this comes to us from Jason, who writes. Which streaming service is doing a better job with its same-day streaming slash in-theaters model? Disney or HBO Max? I'm leaning towards HBO Max streaming for 30 days and then removing it for a few months, as opposed to $30 for three months and then just be a part of the service. Oh, I think they're both shitting the bed. I'm not going to lie to you. I think they're, they both completely crap the bed. They absolutely have both undermined, backstabbed, sabotaged their own success with both of them. Um, look, it depends on your point of view. If 
as a consumer, if you don't want to pay anything and you're already an HBO Max subscriber, well, the option that you didn't have to pay for it. They just put it on HBO Max and you can just watch it. Yeah, it's only on there for a couple of weeks and then they pull it off, but you got to watch it a number of times. With Disney Plus, you pay the $30 and you got it, although you were going to get it in a couple of months anyway on Disney Plus, even if you didn't pay for it. So yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I think they're both just completely screwing themselves. Um, anyway, yeah, there's that. Uh, but you know, I said that was the last one. We'll make this the last one. This one comes to us from Chuck the Mystery who writes, Hey, John. Though I was a huge fan of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I know you weren't. Well, I, I didn't dislike the film. I liked Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It is a thumbs-up film for me. I just didn't love it. That's all. I thought it was... There are parts of it that I adored. Like, the last 20 minutes... That oh my scene, God. oh my God. The last 20 minutes of last, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood are crap. amazing. The entire Margot Robbie thing was completely useless. That character, like Sharon Tate, no point for that character to be in the movie whatsoever. Anyway. Um, hey, John, though I was a fan of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I know you weren't, but last year before the pandemic, there were discussions about doing a Bounty Law TV series with the character of Jake Cahill. Whatever happened with that exciting idea? Uh, and by the way, our friend Donald Thomas sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, man. I appreciate you sending that in, dude. Um, yeah, Rob, do you remember that? We talked about I that do. on this show. I that, do remember it. So for those of you who don't remember, in the movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Leonardo DiCaprio plays Jake Cahill. And the character of Jake Cahill had a famous old Western called Bounty Law. And they re they do some scenes of this. Well, he plays fictitious. Rick Dalton, but Jake right, Cahill. Right, sorry, 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 sorry. Yeah, Rick, Rick Dalton. You're Rick fucking Dalton. Anyway, and they, they have the show Bounty Law. So... They do, obviously, we see scenes from Bounty Law in the movie. Yeah. And then there were reports coming out that they wanted to actually do a Bounty Law TV series. Which, I I gotta say, it was like, that is fascinating. I thought yep. the idea was fascinating. So, but it just, it literally, it died on the vine. I mean, I haven't heard, look, it may still be alive and kicking in the back offices of some studio somewhere. But I have heard zero about it ever since. So I honestly don't know if they are still planning on moving forward with that or not. Rob, have you heard anything about it? Uh, no. And I, you know, I think it would have been the kind of thing that they, it would have been fun if they did it right when they finished shooting the movie. But Leonardo DiCaprio is a little busy. So I don't think that would ever happen unless they have a new care, a new actor playing him. But, you know, they could, they could, I mean, theoretically, you could arrange it where it was like, you know, all you need him is like for two months of shooting. Get him in for right. two months of shooting. You could do the eight part series. I don't know. I it would I, be pretty great though. I, I mean, it would have been I fun. I would be to... interested. I would be interested. I'd rather see a short. A short would be good too. But I I gotta say the I idea of the thing that, that is show. different. That is very very different. By the way, uh, Soul Brother Max sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you for that, Soul Brother. And guys, with that, normally we do go for another half hour but like i said i've got to cut today's show a little bit short because i have to go and watch free guy because i'm very excited about that but anyway guys thank you so much for being here and making this show a part of your day special thank you to all of you guys who sent in those live comments and questions number one because it gave us great fun things to talk about but number two you supported this channel as you did it and all of us involved here at the john campus show 
thank you guys so very much for that support. And by the way, going to let you guys know too, there are still more to come from Chuck the Mystery, Crashing Coyote, uh, Jordan Hurd, and others. Do not worry. We're going to do a companion video later tonight, and we will catch up on a bunch of these questions that have been sent in. So if you sent in a question that hasn't been answered yet, Come on back a little bit later tonight, and we will have a companion video up as well. All right, guys, I want to thank, of course, first of all, the wonderful and the one and the only Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Robert, where can people find you and your amazingness online? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett or find me on Twitter at BurnettRM or on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. And, of course, Kimberly was here today. Kimberly, thanks so much for being in here today. Where can people follow you? Yeah, I have a YouTube. It's What's Good Kimberly. And my Instagram is Was Good Kimberly, W-U-Z-K-I-M-B-E-R-L-Y. Great having both you guys here today and great having you guys here with us today. Don't forget, we'll be back again tomorrow. Also, a little bit later today, keep your eyes open on the YouTube channel. I will put up my straight out of the theater reaction to Free Guy once I come out of it this afternoon. So keep your eyes open for that. And then a companion video. And of course, the John Campia Show returns again tomorrow. And we look forward to having you guys here with us for that as well. Guys, that'll do it for us. Remember to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. My name's John Campia. And until next time, my friends... Bye-bye.